The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. discussion and our Genesis series. Delighted to have John Call with me today. We are continuing with Genesis 8 before we hit upon Genesis 9. John, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. I think, John, that we reached around verse 20. Right. So uh, probably for our listeners it would be a good idea just to do a general review and then just finish off the final verses if we may. Sure, sure. Well, like in um, beginning with chapter six, we 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 started seeing the reason for the flood and and uh, God calling uh, Noah to to build an ark. In chapter seven, we see them on the ark and they are on the ark for about a little over a year uh, with all the animals that they brought. Uh, and then beginning with chapter eight is when God begins to now work in behalf of Noah and begins to precede the waters and that takes uh, quite a while to do and uh, Noah goes through the process of finding out if the water has receded enough uh, with sending out the raven and then the dove and then finally uh, they are able to come off the ark about 371 days after they enter the ark and um, we get to uh, to finally to uh, to this part of, the, of, this, of chapter 8 where God tells Noah to get out and the animals to get out and to go on and begin to uh, fill the earth and to to start over, you can say. Uh, and in verse 20, uh, just in closing of the chapter, it uh, talks about Noah building an ark or an ar- altar, rather, to the Lord and offering the clean animals to, to the Lord. Now, if you remember when he brought the animals, it wasn't just two by two. It was uh, he brought additional clean animals. One one was for the purpose of sacrifice. He's going to sacrifice uh, one of every clean animal to the Lord, and uh, and then God's going to uh, receive that, and uh, we go from there. What does this? I know that we talked about this last time, but I would like to talk about it again because I think it has a, a direct impact and correlation on where we are today. What does this define this man Noah to be? Uh, he is acting on, I was going to say blind faith. Maybe that's not the right way to articulate that. But yeah. this faith is something that we should all have, should it not be? Yeah, so far in the story, or the account, I like to call it an account because he was an actual person. But so far, all we see of him or read of him is that he does everything God tells him to do. Uh, we see that he is uh, he is a blameless man, uh, which does not mean he is without sin. He is a sinner as well, but he uh, he's a righteous man. He's a man who is different than the rest of the world. If you remember, at this time, the world, world at that time was very, very, very corrupt, and uh, he is chosen by God along with his family uh, to continue the human race. And so far, all we see of Noah is. And listening to God, obeying what God says. We don't have a, there isn't, he hasn't spoken a word yet. He doesn't speak until chapter nine. Uh, but, but as far as building this ark and uh, being a man of faith, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, you can call it a blind faith because I don't think, I don't think God calls us to a blind faith. God calls us to uh, an intelligent faith. Uh, and his faith is based on the knowledge of God that he has. It says that he walked with God. He has an, intimate knowledge of God. He knows the character of God. And so that helps him to trust God even more. And here he is told to build this ark. It takes him, you know, a long time to build and he's um, 
100, over 100 years doing this with uh, for rain that hasn't happened and a flood that hasn't happened. So, yeah, there's there's an aspect of faith that we're, uh, we're uh, faith is the evidence of things not seen. You know, that's what faith, and he demonstrates this kind of faith, but in the midst of uh, opposing circumstances in, in society around him, telling him probably he's crazy for doing this. Is it not amazing, notwithstanding that faith and waiting <clears throat> all that time while he built this ark, he rode the waves, as it were, as this blameless man, that he was chosen and yet he came out of the ark and the sin of man continued. Right. Now, and I want to, just referring to 21, the Lord smelled the soothing aroma and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man for the intent of man's heart. Is there anything behind that where he it says to himself? Why is it not saying that he's making that statement to Noah or to man? Um, that's that's a good question um, because it's it's first of all it's 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 within God himself. You know, God is the one who decided whether to you know to to spare man or to uh, or to you know to judge man or it's it's his decision. It's God doesn't need to. Um, dialogue with man for advice or for counsel. Um, he does later on with with Abraham or with Abram, uh, sort of reveal to Abram his his intentions on what he's going to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. But in in this verse, what, what's striking about this verse is not just the fact that he speaks to himself, which um, I think all of us do, <laughs> and I'm my God. So, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> But what's significant about this verse and why this verse is particularly important, it's probably one of the most important verses in, in the rest of all of Scripture, is if you look at it, it says, I, he's, he, first of all, he receives this offering that Noah offers, off, uh, Noah offers this burnt offering, which uh, is often <clears throat> a, 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 an offering for thanksgiving. It's, offering, it's often an offering for, for thankfulness. But in receiving this offering that Noah offers, God then goes, he says, I'm not going to curse the ground again because man is evil. Now, we just went through the flood, and the heart of man hasn't changed, right? Noah is still the same man. His sons and daughters-in-law, his wife are still the same people. The flood didn't take care of the sin of their heart. But if you, if you, if you look at this verse, it's the same words that was the cause for the flood in the first place. If you look at like in chapter 6, in verse 5, it says he sees the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only, only on evil and continually. What was the cause of God sending the flood is now the cause of why God's not going to flood the earth again. In other words, it's the beginning of his grace. Having realized that man has not changed, that man cannot live up to the holiness and, and glory of God, and the reason for the flood in the first place was he, he did not live up to it. Now, because he can't live up to it, God extends grace to mankind. So the very cause of the flood is now the cause for God's grace in this verse. This is very significant because from here on out especially, God deals with man in, in one sense by a, a graciousness that whereas he could annihilate every human being on the face of the earth, he chooses not to because A, the sacrifice has been offered, and secondly, there's another plan that's going to be set in place where, whereby God is going to begin to now um, change the heart of man. And this is where we're going to be in chapter 12 with Abraham. He begins the process where this covenant and this agreement where he's going to eventually be fulfilled in, new, in the New Testament and the New Covenant where God begins to change the heart of man. But here, uh, up to this point, um, Man hasn't been able to change himself. He still can't change himself. Is there a, a similarity in these characters? Would you equate Noah to Abraham, who who really was a pagan? Is this is this? And we see this traveling through the Bible with so many characters in the Old Testament. It, it, is really Noah the the first one to represent truly? A man who who has so much capability, so much opportunity, and yet still, because man sins, still right goes down the wrong road. I, I think, and he is more a picture of Adam 
and, and in a lot of ways, we've in, in the past I've talked about, I think we've talked about in the last time, that there's pictures of, of Noah and this parallel between Noah and Christ. But here, beginning with, with actually chapter 9, you're going to see parallels between Noah and Adam. Uh, Noah is, is like a, another Adam. He's, he's the first on the earth with his family. He is told by God to go and repopulate the earth or you know, fill the earth just like Adam and Eve were told to do that. And there's going to be some differences in chapter 9. So he's more parallel to, to Adam. But um, we do see, and especially when we get to chapter 9, that he's still a sinful man and that he himself is still in need of, of God's grace and God's plan of, of eventually changing the heart of man uh, what he's doing, what God is, what the writer here is doing, is laying the foundation of showing the need for for uh, for man's heart to be uh, to be changed. The evidence that shows the flood didn't do it. God's got an act a different plan, and to to show us because the, the people, the very people that are hardest to reach are ourselves. Sometimes we we don't think we need the help. We don't always, as mankind, we're, we're so. We want to dig. We 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 dug the hole. We want to fix it ourselves. We want to you know we don't need any help. And that's the attitude of man: is God, thank you very much, but I'll help myself. And that's been the whole attitude of of mankind um, up until today. In fact, uh, are you talking about a deep sense of self consciousness that we have to adopt? A, a self independence, you can say, uh, where where. Um, I don't know if you could call it self-consciousness. I'm not sure if that's if that's what I would call, it, but more of a sense of of self-independence and the sense of um, God. I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need your help. I can do it right on my own. And and the history of man shows that we haven't. <laughs> right. I I guess but, that I'm talking in context to all of the uh, broken elements that human beings have like um, codependence, fear, bitterness, judgment. Um, where does all that come into this? Is that something that God is setting up here to make man avoid all of those pitfalls? Is that ultimately what God is trying to do? Well, I mean, those those things are evidences of being in a sinful fallen world those are uh, what the, the consequences of what comes with and this all goes back to you know to get to the garden to, and to Adam and Eve the consequences and, and repercussions of of a life that's lived independently of God I mean for example if you tell the fish to, that he has to live outside of water <laughs> he's gonna die I think what I'm you know? saying and, and I'm using modern terminology sure. when I use codependence right that that is a huge problem in society today right. should we be switching that so that we're actually dependent upon God and nobody else there is merit in that statement is there not yeah that's I mean I'm not sure I guess I'm not sure I'm not sure where you're going with with whether we should live I mean obviously we're we're at we're at in the world you know we're you know um we're not at the point where we're in a, in a in heaven and and it's different we're 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 at the point where um there's yes there's a we should be living in the in on reliance on god um but i don't i don't i don't know if there's a if there's um a complete uh, decision that can be like, well, I can't, I, I should never depend on people again. Um, I mean, I depend on my wife. It's not to the point of codependence. I depend on my, I, I, I depend on, on, you know, uh, there's an inter- interconnectedness of, of mankind that's that's appropriate and and, and uh, that's good. But um, so I'm not sure if, if that's... Uh, um, I think what I'm trying to do is, <laughs> is actually preempt Chapter 9. Oh. Because because we see <laughs> Noah fall again. Well, yes, and and, uh, and that is uh, well, we, that, that is an in- influence from human beings that yet again comes up. Right, and that is all I'm trying to do, probably in a terribly complicated way, is is prove those aspects of the human being, whether it's codependency or anything else, that ha- has again led to that fall. Well, when you get to when you get to ch- when you get to chapter nine, 
and here's Noah for the first time that we see him sinning. I mean, he's probably sinned, you know, other parts of his life, obviously, but now it's going to uh, highlight a certain uh, point. He's 600 years old, and he's 600 years old, and he still has not figured out how to stop sinning, mm. <laughs> which tells you something. That it's going to that this 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 tendency to to rebel and to sin is part of us, and that's the that's the that's. You say part of us. Is yes. it part of us, or is it or is it part of the devil's plan? Well, I mean, that's true, but I mean it's 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 part of us in that it is it it uh, we have a fallen nature by birth. Um, we are we are um, we are fallen by birth. So it's <laughs> I, I was leading you to that point because I'm uh, because what I was going to do is just cite this in twenty one, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Right. So I, I think you're answering my question. Right. Going on here, and I love this, and it's one of the most beautiful parts of Genesis to me. Also, it reminds me so much of the Shakespeare and the Chaucer that I've read so much you know, while the earth remains seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease mm. um, any particular reason for that very melodic piece there this this little poem that's, that's here there's I think there's a reassurance that's here that that uh, and this is the big this is going to be getting the beginning of some sort of cycle to the seasons and to life that will continue you know um, there's going to be times of rain times of drought there's going to be times of times of, uh, of planting and times of harvest there's going to be a cycle you could say uh, that's going to go on and nothing that we do is going to stop those from happening and uh, um, so there's a, there's a sort of a reassurance uh, that um, that God that that God gives. There's gonna be day and night. There's gonna be summer and winter. Maybe some parts of the country, or there, were, you know, there's last summer and this summer, like in Phoenix. You know, there's, <laughs> we don't really have a real winter, but <laughs> the point is, there, there's changes, and there's there, but there's you know, it's going to continue. And there's also a, a, a guarantee from God that there's not going to be another flood like there was uh, at Noah's time. Moving on then to Genesis 9, Covenant of the Rainbow. <clears throat> I'll read through until 4. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. I think that's self-explanatory, but does that not talk about the situation that this world finds itself in today <laughs> with the, the dreadful uh, disasters that we see in the Gulf of Mexico? It seems to me that uh, we are provided with all this wonderful food and, and fish life and oceans it appears that uh, we are somewhat imploding by our own actions but with verse 4 unless you want John to if, unless you think that there's anything else there to to point out well uh, there is a lot to point out here just to what you have actually in the first seven verses is is this this change that's going to be different whereas I, I mentioned before you know Noah's like another Adam except he's gonna be a little bit different this time um, you had the repetition of verse 1, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Same thing he told Adam and Eve. But then in verse 2, you had this change in relationship between man and the animals. Whereas before the flood, animals did not fear man um, because they weren't afraid of being eaten. As far as we know, uh, man was vegetarian before the flood. Um, after the flood, for some, we don't know if it was different conditions of the atmosphere, who knows what. God now allows Noah, man, to eat various animals. Um, and so now you have uh, the animals be becoming afraid, you know, because obviously for, for their lives. So there's this change in relationship between man and animals. Man is still um, 
supposed to uh, be the sovereign over the world in the sense of you know being uh, care for animals you know and being being wise and not not abusing them uh, but certain animals would be be fearful because they are, they could be eaten you know I, uh, I suppose to to qualify your comment that prior to the flood they <clears throat> were vegetarians and after the flood they're now being given animals as as form of food and it does say in three every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you i give all to you as i gave the green plant right. so i'm assuming he's referring to the green plant that he gave right. to man before the flood right exactly so there's a there's this change that's going on and what he and, and what he does and in verse four is he then says okay let me give a limitation uh you're not to eat flesh with its life and its blood because blood in the old testament is a symbol of life when you offered a sacrifice you were to drain the blood out first when you ate you know something you would the blood was to be, be removed and partly is because it was this is talking about sanctity in life life itself whether it's the animal life or human life uh which we'll see in the next uh next verse human life is sanctified um it's a symbol of life and uh, potentially also um, um, he is protecting them for, for health reasons because there's a lot of bad things that are carried in blood but but what he does here is he's he's modifying uh, the food laws and uh, allowing them to, to to eat animals and then uh, in verse 5 he gives protection to uh, he gives a sanctity of human life in verse 5 where he says I will require of your life blood from every beast I'll require of it and from every man from every man's brother I'll require the life of man what he's saying here is that even animals animals or people that kill a, a, a person will be taken they'll have to give an account I'll require it I'll, I'll demand something for that and uh, and uh, he begins to and then goes on verse 6 whoever sheds man's blood by, by man his blood shall be shed for the image of God he made man now he gives the very reason why Human life is so valuable is because humans are made in the image of God, and to 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 murder somebody is an offense to the image of God, to God Himself. And so he 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 sort of lays down the law here, and it begins. What you have here is the beginning of human government. Is this a, the precursor to the covenants? Um, it's a pre, or to the to the Ten Commandments. Yeah, what you have here's what you have is it's being laid out. It's laid out a little bit, and what you have is also, if you remember before the flood, there was no government, there was no laws, uh, as far as um, restricting man from from their various actions. Uh, if you remember chapter four, and, and uh, part uh, chapter four especially where Cain killed his brother Abel, and then his descendants began to kill people for very for you know. For, um, very slight reasons, uh, and there was there was no uh, 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 hindrance to that. Now, after the flood, the question is: How can we go, repopulate the earth and continue and start afresh without going back to square one and having this all happen again? So, what God does, He He puts restraints, a little bit of restraints. He says, "Now, I'm going to, you know, to demand uh, life for life." You know. Uh, uh, if a man gets murdered, I'm going to demand you know that his life be taken as well, and then he's just, he's going to give this to human beings to sort of govern themselves with these stipulations. Uh, this is almost a a progressing building block, is it not? Right. When because that terminology, that verbiage, was not really used in the earlier chapters, right. not really applied to Adam and Eve. Right. right. So so God is. Even God, in a way, is learning. No. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say he's learning because God, there's nothing that you can teach God he doesn't know. I think part of this is to, to, to teach man their own need for various things. Um, and that gets into another topic. I don't think God is learning in the sense that maybe he's man, just, Maybe man uh, is learning. Man is learning. Hmm. Because man is, uh, he is as man progresses along in the story, um, yes, he is learning it. But I, God knows the beginning from the end, so I don't. <laughs> there's nothing new we can teach God. But what's interesting here is he now, in one sense, gives that authority to mankind to now govern themselves. And one of the the, the first re, the first purposes of government 
is given here was to prevent man from killing one another uh, and to and to and to um, um, enact uh, justice and uh, this is what he has there in verse in five and six so we go on to I believe um, six here are we John whoever sheds man's blood be by man his blood shall be shed for in the image of God he made man and for you seven and for you he be fruitful and multiply populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it and then it goes on to eight then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him saying now behold I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and he goes on where we finish up in 11 by establishing this possibly the first major covenant that we see in in the Bible yeah that's that's it's the first time that the word covenant is used in the sense it's actually used um, beforehand uh, uh, God is talking to Noah but so this this covenant with Noah is the first one that is actually an official but there's other there's other sort of so-called covenants that are that perhaps are there even though the word covenant's not used for example uh, some scholars suggest that there was a covenant of works in the Garden of Eden where uh, where the stipulation was, uh, the trees that were there and the effects of eating one tree or, or not eating the, the tree. Um, but here, for the first time, we have is covenant. And God is very, he, uh, the word covenant is repeated several times here. Um, and he's very, very um, adamant, you might say, in making this covenant not only with Noah, but also with the animals and the rest of mankind, which is a unique covenant because the other covenants are not made in this way. Um, it is a promise from God. It's it's one that He Himself is going to see that it is it is uh, past and see to it that it is. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Is it comes to be? You know, is is a covenant an earlier word that that was later changed to commandment? Is no. co- it did was commandment supposed to override? The covenant? No, no. What you have is you have, and and you have the various covenants. You have this covenant with Noah. They call it the Noahic covenant, and this is the the promise by God not to flood the earth again. Okay. You have later on in a few chapters, you're going to have the Abrahamic covenant, which is a promise to Abraham and also to Isaac and Jacob uh, to um, to bring up a people, uh, the Jewish nation, and give them a land and make them a blessing. The commandments will come in the Mosaic Covenant, which we call the law, or part part of which is the Ten Commandments, which is a covenant he makes with Israel uh, as they're entering the land. So the commandments are part of one of the covenants. Uh, you have other covenants like the covenant he makes with um, David, that there would always be a king on the line of David. Uh, you have the New Covenant. So these other covenants that are there, but the commandments are part of one covenant, which is the, the, the Mosaic Covenant. And, it, and interestingly enough, not to go away, <clears throat> we know that there are 10 principal covenants, but there are actually 630... There's 10 commandments, 30, 613 commandments in all. So if you wanted to keep the whole law... <laughs> you have to maintain and retain all of them. 613 commandments. Now, part of the problem is today you don't have a temple to to offer your bulls and your goats thing to. So right off the bat, you can't observe all the commandments. The Ten Commandments sort of summarize the major principles, you know, uh, relationship between he, us and God and relationship between one another. And, of course, Jesus then um, rightfully um, summarizes those commandments into two, love God with all your heart soul and mind strength and love your neighbors yourself and he says on these two commandments the whole law rests and uh, and so he breaks it down to something as you know, simple as that but I love this and I think this is very important for our listeners um, unless I uh, and you can always uh, stop me if you want to if you if there's something else you need to cover but we get on to 12 and God said this is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. This is the one I'm guessing that you will want to um, clarify. 13, I set my bow on the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. And, of course, we're talking about the magical rainbow. Well, (laughs) 
yes, yes, we are, but there's an aspect to it that we, we need to talk about. Right. <laughs> and this is what I'd like our listeners to, to listen to because there always appears to me so much misunderstanding about that beautiful rainbow that we see in the, in the sky. Yeah, we, we don't – we have to put ourselves in one sense in Noah's shoes, Okay. Because when I'm looking at this text, I'm thinking, okay, God, why are you doing this? First of all, you don't have to establish a covenant with anybody. You're, 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 he's putting himself on the line, so to speak, because he's saying, I'm going to establish this covenant. I'm going to guarantee that the earth is not going to flood again. Um, so he's putting himself in line. And there's no conditions. In other words, it's not going to be dependent on man living one way or another because it's made with all mankind the good and the bad but right? god's intent is nevertheless to lead by example right right he's just doing this for for a reason he and he and and he's he's going to establish it with people for the rest for the all successive generations so it was a it's perpetual covenant right and here's noah and i'm wondering okay god why are you doing this so imagine this you just got off the flood you're noah what is your only experience with rain your only experience with rain is as bad because apparently before the flood it didn't really rain the earth was watered by underground streams and or, or, uh, mist come from the water you know from the, would water the earth but here noah is only experience with rain is that it wiped everybody out now if you're sitting there on the ark after the flood maybe you're you're getting off the ark with the animals and you're making houses and starting to, to live life and you begin to see the clouds roll in the sky I imagine that there may have been a sense of terror and fear as those clouds were coming by because his only experience was with rain was that it was bad. Perhaps Noah is thinking, oh, no, not again. So God has to give some sort of reassurance to, to Noah that, listen, no, when you see rain clouds come by, it's not going to – it's not for the intent of wiping you out. It's actually going to provide rain for the seed. So the, the rainbow comes into play where every time – it had rained, it's this guarantee that says, God says, listen, I just kept my promise. I have not, uh, I have not wiped you guys out again. So the question, what is this, what, what's, what's this rainbow? What's this rainbow here? Well, yeah, we, we think of it as, this, and obviously the rainbow is a pretty colored, you know, um, thing of nature, right? What's interesting is the word in Hebrew is, is it's tied to the word, it's the word cassette, which means um, it's a word signifying a weapon like bow and arrow okay it's used throughout um, scripture uh, the old testament to talk about a bow and in one sense what god is saying here is i'm hanging my bow up in the air and it's not loaded in a sense there's peace between you and i so every time there's there's this rainbow comes to, uh, to the you see the rainbow in the sky it's an empty bow it's an unloaded bow so to speak signifying we are no longer at, at war. You know, we're no, there's there's it's, there's a peace, and there's in one sense that would give satisfaction and assurance and comfort to Noah and his family, and hopefully to future generations that knew about that. That's significant. We take it for granted. We see a rainbow, and I've I got pictures of rainbows in my house. And well, we have to remember it's a prom. It's God. Every time we see a rainbow, which a rainbow probably appears on the earth every single day because it rains somewhere on the earth every day. Uh, it's a it's a guarantee of God's faithfulness to His promise, and this is important because if God cannot be faithful to this promise, in the following chapters where He makes promises to Abraham and later on to other individuals, if He can't keep His promise here, if He can't be faithful here, then we can't trust Him to be faithful in other circumstances. So this is very significant right here. Do we need to go over verse fifteen? Um, I think it it's self. Explanatory. Do you want to run with that, John? Uh, yeah, we can just uh, just pray. You know, he says every time it uh, comes over the earth in verse fourteen, I'll remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. And when the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting or perpetual covenant between. God and every living creature of all flesh that is on earth. He repeats this over and over again, just to, to say, "This is this is a guarantee," you know. And uh, of course, he goes on from there in verse seventeen, talking about the sign again um, that's given. And this again is a picture of God's grace, a picture of God's faithfulness, 
and uh, it's a uh, it would have brought uh, a reassurance and comfort to them, I believe. Let's expand upon that, if we may. Sure. We're looking at this this grace that God gives us, and in that grace, He is all forgiving. He is um, proving a total lack of bitterness, fear, insecurity. Um, any any form of vindication or any form of, of, of um, feeling that is that is against man or against anybody else any form of uh, applying guilt or judgment what is the message in that is if and I'm really talking for our listeners here if if God this word grace is something that I come across a lot and I do often have people saying to me grace is that something obviously that is something that God has given us but how do we apply grace in our lives hmm that's a good uh, that's a good question because in one sense uh, you can only apply grace in your life when you've received grace uh, it's the the picture of of the two sinners that were forgiven by by the Lord, and one goes out and begins to treat harshly somebody else that owed, owed him a lot, not not and totally forgetting that he had just been forgiven a huge debt. It's it's the receiving of God's grace that enables us to give God's grace to others. It's um, one who has been loved loved and received loved by God much we'll be able to love others in the same way. Um, here, I think, in, in as it ties to Noah, who understood that he was not a, uh, he was still a sinful man, and that God saved him and rescued him, it's not surprising that he offers a huge thank, thank you to God for, for what he showed to him, for saving him. So it's showing and, and, and giving uh, grace to others it really depends on if we've realized the grace has been shown to us. Now, is that unrestricted today? I'm talking about people today. We we, we do know that there is a lot of chaos, a lot of emotion. If, for our listeners, you're, you, that grace and the form that it takes, do you have to be very diligent about where you place that grace, how you utilize that grace, how you utilize or choose not to use that in certain circumstances. Yeah, that's... <clears throat> giving grace is not always easy. To somebody, you have a family member that has wronged you and um, sinned against you, you can say, and maybe hurt you. Um we are called by God to forgive that person. It, but it may require a whole lot more of time and healing before you're able to be in the same room with that person. Um, and so giving grace is not something where you just flippantly say, well, just forget about your problems and forget about... Uh, it starts with the realization of the grace we've received and it goes on to say, God help me to give grace to this person the same way you gave grace to me. And I think, especially with people that are in our lives that are difficult, the, easy, the people that are friendly to us, that's easy to give. It's the people that are difficult to us that we have our time with, and God says, I call you to give them grace as well. Now, in that method, is the secret um, to first forgive yourself before you forgive that person who has harmed you? Um, to forgive yourself Is of, that what God expects you to do first, to, to make sure that you are yourself following God's law, following God's grace, before you have the right to offer grace on others? <clears throat> I don't, you know, this whole aspect of, you know, before I can forgive somebody, I must forgive myself. I don't. I don't know if the scripture really teaches that. I mean, um, 
it teaches we should we should love even our enemies um and and what my enemy does to me has nothing to do with what i've done to myself or what um the 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 difference is that you are a person of, of grace in the sense that you you realize what you've been forgiven you realize what that your own sins have offended god and so therefore i must realize that this family member or this this coworker or this equally deserves that equally deserves that <clears throat> because look at what god first of all what did god give to us he gave his son he didn't hold anything back and he didn't he didn't have to say well i'm going to forgive myself before i give my son to you god wasn't guilty of anything what we have to realize is that i'm as guilty if it it, but for God's grace, I would be doing the same thing this person over here is doing. So it's a realization that we are all in the same boat, uh, that we are all capable of of sinning as the next person. Even Noah himself is capable of doing. He gets drunk and gets himself naked and just totally embarrasses himself. And this is the last person you would think would do this. Even he... Um, fell and even he would should realize and did realize that 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 we're all in the same boat we are all in the same uh, none of us have attained to the status of never singing again um sorry but really uh, you're saying that we will constantly make these mistakes that we have to it, learn from we will here's what happens with noah and happens with all of us is sometimes we let our guard down sometimes we put ourselves in situations that we are more vulnerable we have to always be diligent to be on the alert because the devil does not sleep or give up attacking those who trust in god he is constantly wanting people to fall and so if think of if you're a believer in christ think of yourself in one sense as a soldier in a war where the enemy does not stop aiming his weapons against you. And so you can't let your guard down. And I think here when we see Noah, in one sense he does that. And and uh, you have to realize that that's not going to – you can't take a vacation from temptation, you know, because it doesn't take a vacation from tempting you. That uh, leads us very well into 18. Now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from that, from these the whole earth was populated. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. Would you like to talk to that? Yeah, we are introduced again, and this is now highlighting the, the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now what's interesting is that we're introduced to Canaan as well in verse 18 and verse 22 and later on will be in verse 25 through the rest of the chapter uh, Canaan is, is going to be introduced because Canaan is going to be uh, you know the Israelites are on their way to, to the land of Canaan to uh, to kick them out and this is going to give sort of the Israelites a reason for uh, for understanding the history of Canaan of, of why God is using the Israelites to punish the Canaanites and this is going to be in the beginnings of where that all started is here in this chapter with the sin of, uh, of Ham and, and, and uh, what he did to his dad. Um, and what you have here is, is Noah. It says he, he begins, he farms, he plants a vineyard, and he drinks some wine, and he gets drunk, and he uncovers himself. Now, some, some people want to get Noah off the hook and say, you know, Noah didn't know that the wine fermented, and he didn't realize that he would get drunk. And that's nonsense. My opinion. <laughs> this is years after the flood had stopped. The, ch- the children of Noah are now old enough, or older. They all have children now. Uh, this is many years later on, and the text doesn't indicate this is the f- very first time he planted a vineyard. He just began farming, and he happened to be planting a vineyard that year, apparently. 
And, of course, wine got the best of him. And uh, the scripture talks a lot about wine. You know, there's some good things it says about it and some bad things, obviously. You have to be careful because especially if you're, um, you know, you said be careful. And here Noah wasn't careful. Uh, Maybe he didn't know uh, that somebody would come popping into his tent. We, We don't know. But he was... Wine tends to make you do things, you know, that you don't really want to do, and you don't, and you forget what you did, and and of course he is vulnerable. He puts himself in a vulnerable situation, and of course uh, Ham comes walking in, and he sees his father's nakedness. Now we look at that and we say, what's the big deal of that? That in that society and in the Old Testament, seeing one's nakedness was a shameful thing. In fact, the law goes into great lengths to make sure that you don't show your nakedness even to the Lord, as even as you're walking up the steps of the, the temple or if you're off doing various uh, duties, that you are covered entirely. Even your, you know, that you're you're covered to not show your nakedness. It's a shameful thing, and uh, the sin here of, of of Ham is not so much that he just saw his father's nakedness, but what he did afterwards. He went and told his brothers, as if to, as if to embarrass Dad. And, uh, you know, I got to wonder why Ham was so quick to do this. You know, did he have something against his dad? Um, but he has this this sort of, um, uh, he has this attitude of, of sort of breaking trust. I mean, the one, the people that Noah sh- trusted the most probably was his family. Uh, and here Ham is, in one sense, breaking trust. He is, he is, he is revealing uh, what should be hidden, what should be covered, you know, um, and uh, the person you expect to cover your back is the very person here that uh, they exposed him, and that was a very uh, that was so dishonoring to his father, and uh, was a very very sinful thing. Shem, uh, Shem and Japheth in verse twenty three on they uh, they are complete opposite from their brother, and they go into the room and they go in backwards, and they respectfully and full of 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 grace here their example of more grace. Cover their dad, and uh, and and cover his shame, and and uh, does do what what love tells us to do is to c- cover one other one another's uh, transgressions, and so you have this this um, this difference between the brothers, you know. We go on to in the closing minutes here, John two twenty five. Mm. So he said. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Now just, maybe you've already done this, but just expand upon me for our listeners in 25. Cursed be to Canaan, who is obviously now... A generation moved on. Well, uh, uh, here's the question: Is is he wakes up? He's, he he know he he finds out what his, what Ham did, and he curses Canaan. Now Canaan is the fourth son of Ham. Ham had three other children. So the question is: Why is Canaan being cursed? Why? <laughs> what's going on here? You know? And this and this has a correlation, of course, with the way that Abraham's descendants were cursed. So there, well, there, there's a pattern here this is gonna what this is gonna do is in one sense this is going to anticipate the sins of the Canaanites um, Ham himself was the one who was guilty but but Cain Canaan is going to be the one who's going to bear the curse or um, uh, be punished for it you could say and the reason is this it's not so much a curse in when 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 God curses somebody like when he cursed the ground there was an immediate effect that it would take man a hard time to grow things and, you know, all that. Here, what Noah is doing, and the text in Hebrew indicates a wish, a desire, uh, a prayer God for God to do this. And, of course, he, end up, he ends up doing this. And the question is, why is Canaan, uh, why is he being punished? And what's, I think what is being taught here is not so much that Canaan is responsible for his father's sins, the scripture is very clear that uh, that you are responsible for your own sins, but the scripture also teaches that the sins of the father and and the sins of Ham here are going to have an impact on the children. In other sense, Ham, his actions, his attitudes are going to rub off on his own children. Okay, okay? 
Oh, and yeah. those children, Canaan, are going to sort of take that and grow it even further because what you read like in in Leviticus 18 is that the Canaanites were a very immorally sexual, overly sexual, bad um, place and people. So they take this little incident here from Ham and it explodes mushrooms, you can say, into what the Canaanites do eventually. So it, in 25, it's not it's, God isn't necessarily condemning anybody. He, what he's saying is that the effects of this will be placed upon the next generation. Right, and what I think what, what Noah is seeing is, is prophetically he sees the Canaanites will become uh, this kind of people. That And, and because of that, um, and he even tells us to, to Abraham when he says, your descendants are going to go down to Egypt. They're going to be there for 400 years. And and at the right time, I'm paraphrasing, at the right time, he's going to bring him up at the right time, meaning when the, the sins of the Amorites or the Canaanites come to fruition in a sense of so bad that God has to do something. He's going to use the Israelites the same way he used the flood to cleanse the land of Canaan. And to um, and that's why in the, in the law, there's so many laws telling them not to intermarried with the Canaanites, not to practice about their practices, because then you'll end up just like them. And their job was to go in and to uh, to sort of clean the land. And so this is, I think the Israelites might have had a hard time with that, and so now they're beginning to understand why God is, is going to judge the Canaanites, because this is going to be hundreds of years later uh, where they're so sinful that God had finally had to to clean house, you, you can say. So w- this is more prophetic. What's interesting here is also the, the idea of the relationship of Shem. The Shemites will become Abraham, and the, and the Jewish people come from Shem. And the uh, people from Japheth, Japheth, you can say, that are the Gentiles. And eventually it says that Japheth will dwell in the tents of Shem. The God of Shem will eventually bless the Jephites, Jephethites, which will be the Gentiles, which is, which was fulfilled in the New Testament, when the gospel was being presented to the Gentiles uh, through uh, through the Apostle Paul, and uh, and so this is kind of how that plays out too. But we can talk more about it next week too. <laughs> I think that brings us to the end of chapter nine, John. Um, we'll be no doubt reviewing chapter nine next time. Sure. And that takes us into chapter 10. Um, John Core, thank you so much uh, for being here with me today. Thank you. And to our listeners, I hope that you have enjoyed uh, this part of Genesis. Uh, we'll be back with you for the next program, indeed, for chapter 8. Meanwhile, you can gain information on this and any other program at davidgibbons.org. And wherever you are in this world, may God bless you. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. <laughs> David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.